So in Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1, the Bible says this. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Let us go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for bringing us into your house to hear from you what you would have to say to us. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive from your word um, and that you would move us to do as your word says. God, we pray uh, that as you speak to us, that you allow us to shut out all the outside noise uh, so that we can hear you clearly and so that we can follow you. Um, Lord, we pray uh, for each and every person that is here uh, that we would not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And we pray that you would always be with us and guide us through this book. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, and I forgot to give the title of the, the message. The title of the message is Faith, Hope, and Unbelief. Um, and if we go back to our opening text, uh, in Hebrews 11.1, 1. the Bible says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it's the evidence of the things that we cannot see. Um, as Christians, we know, or we should know, that our faith, or excuse me, our beliefs are based on our faith in what God is going to do. Okay, so if you have received Christ, you believe by faith that one day you will be saved from your sins and you will go to heaven to be with God, to be with Jesus, and to be amongst the believers uh, of all time. Okay, uh, that is what we believe. All right, so it is important that we understand this concept of faith and, uh, and hope and unbelief because. These things will either draw you closer to God or take you further away from God based on where you're at. Okay, and I, I'm going to show you that. Um, I'm going to show you that here in just a bit. Um, but kind of coming back to the verse here, okay, uh, I want to simplify this verse a little bit so that we can uh, sort of understand this a little better. So the first part of it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Okay, so what we, what we can understand from this is that faith is a demonstration of the hope that we have for things that have not yet come to pass. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So when we look at it, we say, okay, uh, I'll give you a simple demonstration of faith that we all do. When we walk into a room and it's dark and we flick that light switch, okay, we have faith, if the light bill is paid, <laughs> that the light is going to come on, right? So like, we don't need to understand all the inner workings of electrical engineering and how circuits work and how electricity actually passes from that switch all the way up to that light. We don't need to understand that. We just believe by faith that when we hit that switch, it's going to come on, right? And that's a very simple um, explanation of how faith works. But we demonstrate faith all the time. We demonstrate faith when we get on the road that we're going to get to work safely. We demonstrate faith that when we tell our kids to clean the room that they're going to clean it sometimes, right? Like we demonstrate faith all the time. Why is it that we have so much difficulty demonstrating faith when it comes to things of God, though? Right? 
So, you know, we have to be in this practice of demonstrating the faith that we have because that's what we are called to do, okay? So faith is essential in the life of a believer in Christ, all right? And I'm going to show you... Um, I'm going to show you how this works here because, you know, it's very easy for us to say, oh, yeah, we, we just got to believe by faith that uh, God is going to send enough money into our ministry so that we can get this community center built. And, like, yeah, it's very easy to say that, but if we're not putting feet to that faith, if we're not demonstrating that faith by giving to the cause, like, are we really showing faith that God is going to do it, Right? So it is so important that we understand how faith works and how we ought to, uh, how we ought to be walking in it, okay? Uh, so I want to share that with you this morning, all right? So if you go down a little bit further in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 6, it says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and rewards those who sincerely seek him. All right? So let's just take a look at the first part of that. It says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. You know, as, as, uh, as a parent, it's very easy, uh, very easy to please me as a parent. Like, if I tell my kids to do something and they do it, all right. So you got me. I'm pleased. All right. Not a big deal, right? Well, guess what? It's the same thing with God. Okay. God tells us to do things all the time. And he is either pleased or displeased with us when we do it or don't do it. Okay. And this is one of those things that we are called to do. We are called to demonstrate this faith because it tells us here that without it, it's impossible to please him. Okay, so let's just think about this for a minute. All right. Um, if I had to take a show of hands, and I won't, don't raise your hand. All right. If I had to take a show of hands uh, as to how much faith that you've actually displayed this, this week versus how much stuff that God has actually told you to do, okay, uh, would you honestly say that, you have been 100% on board with everything that God's told you to do? Chances are no, right? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, like, there's times when God tells us to do stuff, and instead of just going, we hit pause. And we're like, well, wait a minute. Let me just think about this for a minute. That's not what God asked us to do. Like, God's not asking us to figure out everything that he's told us to do. He's even told us in his word that there are some things that we won't understand. We're just going to have to do them by faith, okay? Uh, because the reality is this, like, think about a, a topic like salvation, okay? We are trusting that God is going to take us to heaven one day. Uh, how many people do you know in all of existence that have gone and come back? Like, how many people do you know personally that have gone and come back? I'm going to venture a guess and say none, Right? Okay, now we read stories in the Bible about people that have gone and come back, okay? Uh, people that were taken up to heaven, uh, like Paul and, and, and like uh, the Apostle John, okay? 
Um, you know, but the reality is, like, we don't know anybody personally that's gone and come back. So there is a part of us that cannot, by natural means, confirm that salvation even exists. So we are trusting God when we pass on from this existence and we step forth into eternity that he's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Okay? And this is a tough concept to wrap around the minds of those that don't know God. Okay? It's like, how is it that God is going to do that? Well, if you sit by and you try and figure that whole thing out, you'll never get there. Okay? Because of just what the second part of this verse has to say. It says, anyone that wants to come to him must believe that God exists. That's the first. Okay? And that he is, he is going to reward you for sincerely seeking him. Okay? So, if you don't meet those two criteria, if you are not one who believes that God exists, this exempts you from this promise, okay? If you are not one who is willing to sincerely seek him, okay, sincerely seeking the truth. Jesus Christ said of himself in John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. This is one of the most divisive statements of all time, okay? You ask any other per any person from any other religion if that's true, and they're going to tell you no, okay? You got some people out there that believe that all roads lead to heaven. They don't, okay? Again, because Jesus told us there was only one way to heaven, and he's the way, okay? So if you don't believe what Jesus has said, and he has told you the truth, then guess what? You are not sincerely seeking him. So why would he reward you in that instance? Okay? So, again, this is where faith is based. Like, you got to be willing to trust God at his word and then walk with him to find out and to realize that it's true. Okay? And that's the life of a believer right there in a nutshell. Okay? So, I want to show you, um, I want to show you, Faith, hope, and unbelief. And I'm going to do it in sort of an unconventional way, but this is what was placed on my heart. Go ahead and show them that picture. All right. Uh, this is my handwriting, y'all. All right. Uh, don't laugh. Uh, I can't draw a straight line, and, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but that's okay. Um, I wanted to do this because I felt like it would, it would stick in your minds a little bit better if I showed you this. All right. And this is a scale of hope, okay? And each and every one of us is on this scale somewhere, all right? Uh, if we got 100% hope and we are moved to demonstrate it, then we have faith, right? But on the, act, the exact opposite of the spectrum, if we got zero hope, like, we're walking in unbelief. Like, that's where we're at, okay? And here's the thing. So we just spoke about Hebrews 11.6, where it taught us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But here's the other reality in this. Without hope, it's impossible to achieve faith. Okay? And then if you take both of those things out of the equation, you ditch faith, you ditch hope, what are you left with? Unbelief. Okay? And this is where, the world, this is where most of the world is today. 
okay? They are walking in unbelief. They don't believe that God exists. They don't believe that, that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. They don't believe the God of the Bible at his word when he says these things. So they walk in unbelief, okay? Now, here's the thing, okay? Uh, you know, like you think about, you think about in the past two years how rates of depression have shot up astronomically. You think about how many people have been affected by being sick and shut in. Uh, you think about how many people have been isolated uh, because of everything that's gone on in the world with COVID. Um, you think about uh, kids not going to school and not having that social interaction regularly, okay, and then being affected negatively by it and then going out and committing suicide, okay? Now you think about that and like if you really put this thing on this scale, like where are they? They're right here. They're here. Why? Because a person without hope is hopeless. What do they have to hope for? What do they have to dream for? Nothing. Right? So it's not hard to see why they walk in unbelief. It's because they have no hope. Okay? And I, I share that with you, and I'll, I'll share a personal story with you. When COVID started uh, and they shut down schools uh, for the remainder of the school year, uh, My youngest son, he came to my wife and I, and he told us, He told us that he was hearing a voice in his head. I was telling him he was going to die. Here it is, for any of you that know my youngest son, he's very energetic, very outgoing, very, uh, very lively, right? But we watched him over weeks of time begin to shrivel and to shrink back. 
you're a parent and you have children, it is not hard to understand and to see your kids when they are struggling and to want to help them so badly. But when you know that there's very little that you can do, it rips the heart out of your chest. I can tell you, uh, that was a very, very low, low point uh, in my life as a parent. Um, one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with. Um, but I will tell you this. I did, my wife and I, we did what we ought to do as believers. And we put our faith in him to change that situation. And I can tell you that my son is more lively today than he ever has been. See, y'all got that one for free. That wasn't even in my notes. Um, so, what I want to do, um, you know, is, is get us to understand why this is so important, why faith, hope, and unbelief are so intertwined together, and why we need to really lock into this particular concept, um, because it is so integral in the life of believers, okay? Um, you know, because the reality is this, like, when you have diminishing hope as a believer, as a Christian, you pray less, you go to church less, uh, you tend to isolate yourself, you tend to uh, uh, not be as thankful or grateful for the things that God has done, you tend to embitter yourself with the things that you believe that you are missing in life. Like, we do all these crazy things, and a lot of that is linked to where we are on this scale of hope. So I'm going to share with you three stories from uh, the Bible, and I hope that in sharing these particular stories um, that we can learn a lot. Uh, about the importance of faith, hope, and unbelief. Um, so the first story that we're going to take a look at, well, all of these stories, uh, not coincidentally. Y'all know I don't believe in coincidence. Um, all these stories will be in the book of Mark. Um, so we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 5. And we're going to take a look uh, starting at verse 25. 
All right, and the Bible says this in Mark 5, verse 25. It says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. So let me explain the significance of this, because like in, in today's time, like our culture is different than it was back uh, during these times here. Um, and specifically, our culture is very different from the way that Jewish culture or ancient Jewish culture was back then. Okay, so uh, when it tells us that this woman suffered from a, uh, uh, a bleeding or a constant bleeding, okay, uh, here's why this is important. Um, in the Jewish community, if you were bleeding, if you were on menstruation, if you were, you had open sores or cuts, like if you had any of that going on, you were excluded from participating in regular life attached to the main body of Israelites, okay? So if the town that you lived in was here, you had to live on the outskirts of town. You could not go to synagogue, you could not participate in regular life, okay, in this culture at that time, because you were considered what was called ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, okay? So think about this. This woman suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, 12 years of being an isolated outcast in this society, okay? And, I mean, you think after 12 hours of having a head cold or, or 12 days of having COVID or, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, that you're ready to die. Like, this woman was going through it. 12 years that she has suffered. And she didn't just suffer that. She suffered from having to deal with these doctors who were incompetent, who, one, couldn't diagnose her accurately and couldn't treat her accurately and took her money on top of all of that, right? So she was broke on top of that is what I'm saying, right? So she suffered with the humiliation of being ceremonially unclean, being outcast and removed from regular Jewish society, removed from her family and friends. She suffered with the humiliation of having paid all this money to doctors who were supposed to help her who actually didn't. And she had actually gotten worse over time, okay? That's where she was at. But let's keep reading the story. So, uh, in verse 27, the Bible says, she had heard about Jesus. Let's just stop there for a minute. Um, <laughs> I would just jump into, have you heard about Jesus? And then start, you know, preaching the gospel on you. But we still got a little bit of the way to go. So, we'll save that for the end. Um, so, she heard about Jesus, okay, and... With everything that she had gone through in her life up to that point, the Bible says after that that she heard about him and she came up behind him through the crowd. Now, remember, Jesus is a rock star at this point, okay? Everybody wants to be around Jesus at this point, okay? Um, you know, people have heard it. Everybody loves Raymond. No, everybody wanted to be around Jesus, right? 
okay? Because he was feeding people, he was healing people, he was casting out demons, he was, he was doing all these things, okay? And Jesus was constantly uh, being surrounded by crowds. Like you, you read that pretty regularly if you go through the Gospels, okay? And it says here, she came up behind him while he was in the crowd, and she touched his robe. Why? Go on to verse 28. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Not if I could speak to him, have him pour oil over me. Not if I could, you know, invite him uh, out for dinner and, like, talk to him. No, none of that. If I could just touch his robe, right? So you think about this. You know, we talked about the faith, hope, and unbelief. Like, where do you think she's at on this scale? 100% hope. 100% hope. Like, she's thinking to herself, if I can just reach out through this crowd and touch, in some versions of the Bible it says, touch the hem of his garment. Okay? It, that would mean, like, the, the, uh, the very crease here on my pants. Like, if I could just touch it, I would be healed. That's what she's believing Okay, she hadn't told anybody that she just walked up through the crowd and she was like, listen, I heard a little something about Jesus. I'm going to see if he's the real deal. I'm going to touch him. I'm not going to have him touch me. That's what most people want to do. I want you to put your hands on me, Jesus, and heal me. No, she said, if I could touch him, I'll be healed. Okay, how counterintuitive is that? Like most people think doctor's got to put his hands on me, set this bone. No. She, imagine us walking into the hospital with a broken leg and saying, nah, doc, I don't want you to put your hands on me. I'm going to just touch, you know, uh, 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 the, 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 uh, I'm going to touch your shirt and then be healed. No, that don't work. She had enough faith in Jesus just based on what she had heard about Jesus to do that. Okay? That's where she was at. Okay? 100%. I am hopeful that Jesus is going to do it, and now I've got so much hope that the faith that I have is moving me to do this. I'm going to go touch his robe. I am going to be healed because I believe that would do it. Okay? That's where she was at. All right? Verse 29. It says, immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel her body feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Verse 30, Jesus realized that, realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? Ah, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Jesus is in this crowd, okay, and like, there's people pressing on him from all sides, okay? It'd be like everybody got in this room and congregated right in this one small circle right here, fitting everybody in that tight circle. And he has the audacity to ask, who touched me? <laughs> and it, it, here's what's funny. Go, go on to verse 31. Because then the disciples say to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Like, really? How are you even supposed to know who touched you? Everybody touched you. That's a simple answer, right? 
But, verse 32, it says, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell, uh, fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. So, after realizing that Jesus wasn't going to give it up, he wasn't going to let it go, okay? He was going to keep asking who touched me until he figured, well, Jesus already knew who touched him. It was trying to get her to admit that she had touched him, right? Because Jesus knows everything, okay? Can't pull the wool over his eyes. It's like he's asking to get you to confirm what he already knows, okay? So he knew she had touched him. Okay, but he wanted her to admit to having touched him. Why? Because it says she came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. She told him that if I only touched your garment, if I only touched your robe, I felt like I would be healed. And then we get to verse 34 because... Here comes the blessing, because it says, and then he said to her, daughter, your faith, your demonstration of the hope that you have within you for something that had not already happened, your faith has made you well. This is why this is so important. Because without the hope that she had from hearing about the things that Jesus had done, she would not have approached Jesus and tried to touch his robe, okay? Without that hope, she would have been suffering for the rest of her life. But the Bible says, Okay, go back. But the Bible says, daughter, your faith has made you well. It's because she acted on that hope that she had that she was healed, that she left herself open for the blessing that God gave her. Okay, how many of us short circuit what God is willing to do in our lives because we don't have hope? or because we don't have enough hope that causes us to act by faith, okay? At some point in the life of every believer, you had to have heard the gospel and then responded to it by saying, you know what, if what God says is true and I am a sinner, then I'm in a jacked up place. I don't know if everything that he's telling me is true, but I'm going to believe by faith, and I'm going to hope that what he's saying is true, and I'm going to step out here in this aisle. I'm going to walk down. I'm going to fall on my knees because he offers me a gift I cannot achieve on my own. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Christian, your faith has made you well, has given you the opportunity to be saved. 
Okay? So, just real quick, going back to our scale, this woman, she had the hope based on something that she had heard about Jesus. And because she had enough hope, she acted in faith, and she demonstrated that faith by going up, touching his robe, and then being healed, okay? That's where she is. Now, I'm going to share with you a very different story, okay? Because uh, now we're going to swing to the opposite end of the scale, all right? And let's go to Mark chapter 6. <laughs> this wasn't too long after this event, all right? So we were just in Mark uh, chapter 5. Now we're in Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1, and the Bible says this. Jesus left that part of the country and returned, to, returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So... Jesus goes to his own hometown, okay? Now, remember, Jesus is a rock star, okay? Word is getting out throughout all of the nation that Jesus is coming. Jesus is healing. Jesus is feeding people. Jesus is casting out demons. Jesus is doing all this stuff, right? So... His celebrity status is like on a thousand, okay, on a scale of one to ten, right? So you can't go too many places as a rock star and not have people like know who you are, uh, especially if you go to your own hometown, okay? So let's watch what happens though, right? So they were amazed. No, 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 go back. They were amazed when they heard him speak, and he was teaching in the synagogue. And they asked, well, where do you get all this wisdom and all this power to perform such miracles? Like, I don't know if he did any miracles while he was in there teaching, uh, but if he didn't, they certainly had heard of the miracles that he had done, right? And then they, uh, they perceived, because of what he was teaching about and them being amazed, that, like, where do you get all this wisdom, right? So, now here's what's funny. That was in the first part of their breath, but then when we get to the second part of their breath, in verse 3, it says, Then they scoffed. Ah, he's just the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. <laughs> And then it says that they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Here's what's funny about this. I told you, Jesus had been traveling for a while now. Jesus is a rock star. His celebrity everywhere else, um, including his own hometown, was known at that point. So at this particular point in time, it's not from a lack of knowledge about who he is and what he's done that is going to do these people in. What's going to do them in is the last part of this, where it says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. 
because, and I got to thinking about this, and it's so interesting because they devalued everything that they had heard from him and what they knew about him solely to focus on who they knew him from in the past. And it's like, how many people do that to us as Christians, right? So we get saved, and we start living differently. We start walking differently. We start talking differently. We start, you know, dealing with some of the associations that we have. We start dealing with some of the the things that we struggle with, right? And then people try and drag you back into your past based on who they knew you as, right? And here's the funny thing. It's like they couldn't say anything bad about Jesus. So watch this. They said he's just a carpenter. They reduced him to his profession, which obviously wasn't a respected profession. They reduced him to the relationships that he had. Okay, he's the son of Mary. Oh, y'all know about Mary, right? Yeah, and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, they ain't no good, Right? They reduced him to everything else but who he actually was. And in that, it says they were deeply offended. Why would you be deeply offended? The truth offends. Let me tell you that. The truth can also make you free. The Bible tells us that too. Okay? But they chose to be offended. Okay, because, again, I told you, it's not for a lack of knowledge, okay? He shared with them the truth because he was teaching. Jesus always taught the truth. But they were deeply offended, and they made the choice to refuse to believe in him. I told you guys before, ignorance comes in two brands, okay? You've got ignorance because you don't know something, and then you've got ignorance because you've heard something and you just don't want to believe it. They were willfully ignorant. Don't be willfully ignorant, okay? Uh, I was sharing with the youth. Um, I'm like baseball. I, I got like a three-strike tolerance for you, okay? If I tell you the truth once and you don't understand it, I'll tell it to you again, uh, and I'll try and share it, to you, share it with you in a different way. Um, and then by the time we hit the third time, if I'm telling you, and you just choose unbelief, I'm in the wind. Like, I'm not going to argue with you about it at that point. Like, I've shared it with you. I've tried to make it plain. If you don't want to believe it, if you refuse to believe it, like, that's just where we're going to be. And the Bible tells us that, you know, we should not quarrel with people, okay, but that we should share the truth with them, and then perhaps God will make that truth plain to them, and they will believe it. Okay, so I'm not going to be any different. Like, I'm going to share it with you. And if you don't want to accept the truth, that's on you. The truth has been shared. I'm the messenger, not the message. All right. So, like, they did themselves the greatest disservice because they reduced him. They reduced him to things that weren't even, that weren't even about him. That was about other people, okay? They reduced him to just the status of his profession prior to going into ministry. 
They reduced him to just the relationships that he had. And they were like, well, those people ain't no good. They ain't no better than us. So who is he to speak to us like that? Guess what? He's God. And he's going to tell you the truth. God is always speaking the truth. Problem is we're not always listening. We are not always willing to accept truth when truth is shared with us. That's, just, that's not just lost people. That's, that's Christians too, unfortunately. Okay? So, um, where were we at? Verse 3? Verse 4. The Bible says, Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his, home, his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Do you know that there was a point in time when Jesus' family, when his mother and brothers uh, tried to come and get him because they thought that he was sick in his, and out of his mind, okay? Uh, you know, and, and they, they wanted to bring him back home, you know, get him right. Not, Jesus was out there doing what the Father told him to do, all right? And they just weren't on board, you know, for one reason or another, um, you know, Bible does tell us that uh, eventually at least two of his brothers ended up getting saved, okay, James and, and Jude, uh, where uh, we get the book of James and the book of Jude from, okay, and, uh, you know, at that time, at this particular time, they were not believing in him as being the son of God, okay, um, but over time, the love of God won them over. Okay, and they did end up becoming believers in him. Okay. So, you know, the, the, the tough part is, you know, it's like we were saying before, um, you know, family, friends, they're going to see you as who they've always known you as. They're not, gonna, they're not always going to separate who you are in the moment from who you were. And that's the sad reality, okay, because that's not the way that God judges us. God judges us where we're at not necessarily where we were, okay? He will judge people for their actions that they've committed, but he's looking at you at where you're at, and he's looking to meet you where you are, okay? Jesus tried to meet them exactly where they were, but they refused, okay? They refused to believe in him, all right? So let's go on to verse 5. So in verse 5 it says, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So it's interesting. When you read this particular Bible verse, um, you know, one of the things that popped out to me as I was reading it was like, well, wait a minute. How is it that Jesus couldn't do any miracles? Like he's the all-knowing, he's all-powerful. How couldn't he do it? And then it dawned on me, it wasn't that his power was limited by their unbelief, right? Because the reality is that when God moves in the lives of his people, it's because he wants to be glorified, all right? It's because he wants them to understand his importance in their lives, right? So it wasn't that he couldn't do it, it's that he actually couldn't bring himself to do it because they were never going to receive him anyway. 
they had already made up their minds. They had already predetermined in their minds that they were not going to believe in him. So why waste the miracle? Okay? Um, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, at this particular point, uh, I think if you go into the book of John, chapter 7. Um, now, don't quote me on that. I think it's there, but I, I don't know that for sure. At any rate, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and they, um, actually, it's chapter 6. Uh, and he's speaking amongst the Pharisees and amongst people uh, who had been following him because he had just done the feeding of the 5,000. And now we're fast forwarding to when he is in Capernaum and he's teaching there and he's teaching about the bread of life, right? So he's teaching there and they're having a hard time getting it, okay? They're having a real hard time with it. And, you know, he's telling them over and over and over, you know, I'm the bread of life. Um, you know, if you want to get to the Father, like, like, this is it, I'm the way, right? And there comes a point in time where they're challenging him, they're challenging him, and then he tells them, you know, uh, after having done all these miracles, Jesus had done, I think it was four different types of miracles. He had uh, fed the 5,000, he had walked on water, he had... Um, uh, uh, he had cast out demons and he had healed people, okay? Four different types of miracles up to this particular point in time. And what they do is they come to him and they're like, all right, well, we'll believe in you, but guess what? We need you to show us a sign. A sign of what? He's been killing you with miracles left and right, and you can't believe him? No, it wasn't because of a lack of knowledge. It was because of lack of heart. They didn't want to believe so why was he going to show you another sign at that point when you weren't going to believe anyway? And that's where these people are at, right? They're in this place where they are refusing to believe, and he's like, yeah, I could, but I'm not. Sorry, not sorry. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do any miracles amongst you. You are not going to believe anyway. So it says, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place hands on a few sick people, they believed, and heal them. Okay? Jesus is not going to bless those that are not going to give him credit for his deity. It won't happen. Okay? And it definitely won't happen if you are refusing to believe in him. Okay? So, let's shift gears. So, now, going back to our scale, all right? We've had, we've seen 100% faith. We've seen 100% unbelief. Now, let's look at being somewhere on that scale, Okay? We're going to drop down to Mark chapter 9, and i got to hustle. I'm running out of time here. Uh, no, I'm not. We'll be here a while. <laughs> uh, so we're going to drop down to Mark uh, chapter 9, and when we pick it up in verse 14, the Bible says this. 
When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. Again, Jesus is a rock star, okay? This is what happens, all right? Jesus has his groupies. So, verse 16. What is all this about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk, and whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And then verse 19, and we'll, we'll pause there. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So, this father, he has a son that is possessed by a demon and has been possessed by a demon for some time. He goes and the Bible says, it says that he went looking for Jesus so that Jesus could heal him. And he didn't find Jesus, presumably because Jesus was somewhere else. But he did find the disciples, or some of Jesus' disciples. And, um, you know, he tells Jesus that they could not cast out this demon. Okay? And then we get to this point here, where Jesus says, you faithless people. Now... The Bible is not clear as to whether or not it refers to the crowd of people or the disciples or both, but it does show us one very interesting thing. Uh, it does show us that just like in Hebrews 11.6 where it says that without faith it is impossible to please God, he said, you faithless people, exclamation point. He was upset. He was annoyed with their lack of faith, a.k.a. he was not pleased. Remember, it is impossible to please God. God and Jesus are one. It is impossible to please God without faith. They were faithless. And again, just like the people over in his own hometown, okay, he was not going to honor that without faith. And like we said before, without hope, there is no faith, right? So let's take a look at this. Going to verse 20, it says, So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? asked Jesus to the boy's father, as if Jesus didn't know, by the way. Um, but again, Jesus doesn't ask because he's looking to get something from us that he doesn't know. He's asking so that you know exactly what he wants you to see in your own life. Okay? So he asked him, how long has this been happening? All right? And then the boy's father replies, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. 
This is funny to me. This is so funny. You, you know why? Because earlier in these verses, it says that the man goes looking to Jesus so that Jesus could heal his son. Okay? If he didn't have any hope that Jesus could heal his son, he would not have gone looking for him in the first place. Right? So now it comes to the point where he's doubting whether or not Jesus can actually help him. But again, he's doing just like the people in Jesus' hometown did. And he's reducing him to the relationships that Jesus has with someone else. Because the disciples couldn't do it, and now he believes that he can't do it. The, fa the, the father believes that Jesus can't do it because the disciples couldn't do it. Again, the father reduced Jesus to them and their inabilities. Instead of him realizing that Jesus is above all of them. And clearly has the power to do that which he is asking to be done. And in his moment of weakness, he says, help us if you can. Right? You know, and it's easy for us uh, in hindsight to look at this story and be like, well, yeah, you should have just had faith, right? Jesus was going around. He was healing all these people. You know, he's a rock star. He's doing all these great things, right? It's easy for us to say that, but we do it too, right? I mean, don't, don't raise your hands. Just blink if you've had lack of faith, right? <laughs> but we do this too, right? And, and this guy says, and if, if you can, right, if you can help us, right? Verse 23, he says, and this is Jesus talking to him. And I can only the, imagine the look on Jesus' face when he said this. What do you mean, if I can? Like, are you serious? Like, you don't get a crowd like this because you can't do stuff, right? Like, that doesn't even make sense. That doesn't compute. If I can? Really? See, this is why I couldn't have been Jesus back then. Like, because I'd have told him. I'd have told him, um, okay. Um, I can't even say that on the mic. Anyways, so he says, what do you mean if I can? Right? And again, Jesus isn't asking because he doesn't know the answer to the question. Jesus is asking him to get him to see where he's at. Okay. He's asking to get him to realize exactly where he is in that moment of time and realize where he was wrong. Because Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And he knew exactly what he could do to help this young boy. And then he responds to him and he says, anything is possible if a person believes. If a person has enough hope that it puts feet to their faith, and they demonstrate that faith by coming to him honestly. It can be done. Now, here's where a lot of people get this messed up. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen. That means that it is a possibility. It can. But if you never come to him and you never ask, how can it be done? If my kids need money for lunch at school, 
but they don't come ask me, okay? Like, I'm not like Jesus. I don't know that they need money, okay? I can't, I can't give them something that I don't know that they need. Now, Jesus does know everything, and he does know exactly what they need, but if you're not willing to ask, okay, you've just removed all the possibilities from the table. Don't short-circuit yourself, Christian, by not asking for something that God can clearly provide. Verse 24. <laughs> so the father uh, clearly uh, uh, having a gut check realizes where he's wrong. He comes back and it says, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He knew in his heart, just like we know in our hearts, that scale exists. That scale of hope exists in us. And on one side of it, there is 100% hope. On the other side of it, there is zero hope. And there is belief and there is unbelief attached to it. And he saw in himself, he said, I do believe, I do have some hope, but I need you to help me where my unbelief is taken over. Okay? This is where I believe most of us reside. We believe to a point, okay? Uh, we believe, yeah, you know what? I know it's possible. God can do it, but I don't know if he'll do it for me. We believe, yeah, I I've seen God do it in the lives of other people, but I'm not worthy. Here's a newsflash. None of us is worthy. If we were worthy, we wouldn't need him. That's the reality. If we were worthy, we would not need God. And the tough part is, like, we swing on this scale, going back and forth, and we know that we're on this scale, yet we swing on it anyway. And we don't have to do that. It's a conscious choice. Hope is a choice, okay? Just like, you know, we make choices as to what kind of shoes we're going to put on, what kind of clothes we're going to wear. It's a choice. We make a choice as to whether or not we're going to obey God or not. We make choices all the time that either draw us closer to God or bring us further away from God. And if we associate that with that hope scale, the choices that remove hope from us are the ones that draw us away from God, that cause us to pray less, that cause us to uh, sing his praises less, that cause us to seek him less, that cause us to not want to be around Christians, to isolate ourselves, that cause us to do all these things that will draw us further away from him. But then there are also choices that we can make that will draw us closer to him. We fight our way to get into church on a Sunday morning, but we don't want to. We fight our way through pain. We fight our way through uh, dealing with family relationships. We fight our way through all this other noise and nonsense that can draw us away from God's plan for us. But these are all choices. We choose to do those things. Okay? 
don't short circuit yourself because of the choices that you make that will bring you closer to God, period. So let's move on to uh, Romans chapter 15. This will be our last verse. Come on, Victor. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Um, This is a really, really important verse when it comes to faith and hope. Um, Because as believers, it's so important for us to stay hopeful, to remain hopeful. Okay, because like I said before, a person that is without hope is hopeless. Okay, um, you know, and we see this, or or we've seen this in the lives of many, uh, uh, many people throughout this book. Okay, uh, you got a guy like David. You know, at one point in time, he was, um, you know, a mighty warrior. Okay, uh, and then we get to a later point in his life, and he's running from one of his sons hiding in a cave. Okay. Um, and this is, a, this is a person that is spoken, uh, spoken of in the Bible by God as a man after his own heart, right? You know, we have uh, uh, a person like Elijah. Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel, okay, and he is in a spiritual battle with, um, uh, with all of these soothsayers and, and uh, uh, idol-worshiping um, uh, uh, priests, okay? And, like, he it, when he is going through that whole, uh, that whole event, and he is uh, just believing so heavily in God that God is going to do everything that he said he's going to do. And uh, you see him stand up there in front of all of these people, okay, and then call down fire from heaven, burning up this altar that had been soaked and soaked and soaked in water, and it's all consumed. And then he gives the call for all of these false priests to be killed, okay? You would believe that, I mean, there was nothing on earth that could stop him at that point. But don't you know, just a little time after that, okay? I think it was uh, Queen Jezebel. She put out a hit on him. And she was like, yeah, uh, we're not going to have any of that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that you die before tomorrow, right? And, you know, he goes into hiding in the wilderness and asks God to take him. Where's your faith then? But that is, that's the life of all believers. At some point, we have highs and lows, okay? At some point, we trust God more than we ever have, and then at some point, we trust God less than we were as a lost person. That's all of us, right? Romans 15, 13, the Bible says this, and this is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. 
He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will completely fill you with joy and peace because you trust in him. Paul is praying for these believers, and he tells them outright that God is the source of hope. Listen, you can have hope in a lot of things. You can have hope, uh, you know, in politicians. You can have hope in your job. You can have hope uh, that your team is going to win the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, Cheryl, wish yet. They ain't winning the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, dear. Dolphins not going to do it. Maybe, the, maybe Philly. <laughs> she says, not my Jets. And that's why they play the games. Right? So we can have hope in all these different things, right? But how often do we think to ourselves, like, all of those things, they change. Right? The, the teams that we support, like, they have up years and down years. Right? Um, the politicians that we support... Here today, gone tomorrow, right? Uh, even the amount of money that we make, like we could be poor today, rich tomorrow, like all those things change. But guess what? Paul is telling us that God, the source of hope, needs to provide our hope because God never changes. God never changes. He's always going to be the source of hope, okay? And if we accept the hope that he offers to us and we trust him, right? We will get that joy. We will have that peace that comes from having that hope. Second part of that verse, it says, then you will overflow with the confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we trust him and we have that complete joy and that complete peace, then we will overflow with the confident hope. When that woman was pressing her way through the crowd and she went and she reached through and she could barely touch Jesus because of all the people that were pressing around him. But she reached out and, he and she touched his robe anyway. It's because she had the confident hope that when she touched that robe, she was going to be healed. She had that confident hope. When the father of the, the boy who was demon-possessed, when... Jesus asked him, if I can? What do you mean, if I can? Right? And he realized where he was. He understood that he was not walking in that confident hope. He was walking in that so-so hope. Like, I, I know he can do it, but I, I don't know if he'll do it for me. Hope. Right? Listen, church, we need to walk in the confident hope. That only comes by way of the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, okay? And that only comes when we realize that we need to stay connected to the source of hope, who is God, period, okay? It is only when we do that that 
we stay more on the 100% side of that scale that causes us to act in faith to demonstrate the hope that we have, right? That is that confident hope, okay? That's where we need to be. That's who we are called to be, okay? So my last question to you before we leave is where are you at on that scale? Everybody in this, in this room has something that they are hoping for. You are hoping for a loved one to be saved. You are hoping uh, for a better job. You are hoping that um, you know, uh, uh, relationships improve. You are hoping for something. Where are you on that scale? Are you walking in the confident hope that it's gonna happen? Or are you just kind of so-so? Or worse than that, are, are you at a point where you're just in unbelief? Or close to it, right? That is a dangerous place to be as a believer. None of us should be without hope. Especially if we stay connected to the source of hope, who is God. We have to do a better job of that part of it. That comes by way of reading our Bible, letting God talk to us. That comes by way of remembering God and all of his great benefits. That comes by way of understanding where we are in our relationship with him. That comes by way of praising God, that comes by way of serving others. Jesus' entire ministry was built on serving others, never on serving himself. And he's our example. And here's what's funny. Like, this just came to mind. So Jesus, knowing all things, knowing everything that would ever come to pass, there was a moment in time where you see the weakness of his flesh because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying to the Father and he was praying that this cup would pass from him, okay, this, this, this cup of suffering that he would have to go through in order for all of mankind to be redeemed by way of that sacrifice. And he said at that time, not my will, but yours be done. So even in his flesh, even knowing everything that would have to happen in order for that to come to pass, knowing all of the suffering that would happen at the hands of the religious leaders, at the hands of the Roman soldiers, and even God's wrath after that in hell, before he was raised again, he said, not my earthly fleshly will, but yours be done. Okay? Listen, doubt is always going to be there. Doubt is always going to draw us away from the Father. 
but we need to believe in him more than we believe in our doubts. We need to put our faith in him because of the hope that we have that drives us to demonstrate that faith. If we don't do that, we lose. We slide back to unbelief and we lose all the things, all of the power that the Holy Spirit has to do through us to accomplish the things that God wants us to do. That's the message, folks. That's it. If we lose sight of this, it's very easy for us to start circling the drain. Okay? We see that so many times in this book in the life of people who, who the Bible describes in Hebrews 11 as people of faith. Okay? We see that we, uh, we have named those people in the, the book of, of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we've called that the hall of faith. People who demonstrated these great faith. Well, don't you know they were also demonstrators of great failure? Doubt is a part of life, but doubt is a choice that we make. Just like hope is a choice that we make. We need to choose hope. We need to choose the source of that hope, and we need to stay connected to him. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for being our source of hope. Thank you so much for allowing us to come before you and to call upon you and to ask you uh, to help us at any time. You said that we can confidently approach your throne of grace and that you would hear from us. God, we pray and we ask that you continue to impress upon us that we need to have hope, that we need to stay connected to you. Your word says that if we abide in you, if we abide in Jesus, that you would abide in us. And that means that we need to stay connected to you and that we need to continue to draw close to you. And Lord, we ask that you give us that hope, give us that faith that drives us to walk with you rather than away from you. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, for each and every person here. You know their needs. Uh, you know where we struggle. You know what needs to happen in us in order for change to incur outside of us. And we pray that you do it, Lord. We pray that you work on our hearts. We pray that you spur us to action. We, we pray that you help us to speak the truth in love to everyone around us. And we pray that you give us the words of truth to speak. God, we pray and we ask that you continue to guide us by your word, by your spirit, all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. 
Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.